Our study in the book of Luke brings us to chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, where Jesus encourages these religious leaders to not only rub shoulders with other people like them, but to rub shoulders with those who nobody wants to rub shoulders with. I've been in ministry now for 36 years. In those 36 years, I've been to hundreds of pastor conferences. Um, we do a pastor's conference, uh, the uh, Calvary Tucson Southwest Pastors and Leadership Conference in March. We've done it since back in the 90s. And um, we're, we have one coming up this March. We'll let you know about it a little bit later on. But something that I've noticed about going to conferences, especially pastor's conferences, and especially senior pastor conferences, these are conferences that only senior pastors of churches could go to, that there's a real desire to rub shoulders with those who are important. That when, when, especially in the early days when I would go to a conference and Chuck Smith would be there and Mike McIntosh, Raul Reese, Greg Laurie, uh, the, these guys were all at these conferences. I went to a conference with Charles Swindoll and Jack Graham um, and uh, 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 John MacArthur. Uh, and I could tell you that when those guys step off of that stage or they're hanging out in between sessions, there's a lot of people that want to get over and talk to them and rub shoulders with them. But if you turn around at any pastor's conference and you look out in the seats, you're going to see people that no one wants to rub shoulders with. And Jesus is speaking to us about reaching out to them, rubbing shoulders with those that no one wants to rub shoulders with. And I want to talk about a practical ways in which we can apply this. Because when we first read it, we go, that's tough. This is tough. Can I really fulfill this? So let's take a look at this passage. Let's talk about what it means. And then let's look at five things the Bible tells us about helping the, the, the poor and the needy. And then I want to give you uh, some practicality about places that you can give, ways that you can help and give and, and, and help to meet needs of individuals. So Jesus is invited over to this religious ruler's house. Uh, they would do that in their day. This is something religious rulers did. They invited other religious rulers in who were popular, and they had discussions about theological issues. And people came in and lined the walls. The, the common folk would come in and line the walls, and they would listen to the conversations from the rabbis, the religious leaders. They would listen to their debates. Uh, the people who were sitting at the table were not the common folk. These were people that were somebody. And so Jesus was invited to several of these meals. And we remember at one of them at a Pharisee's house named Simon that a woman came in who was probably a prostitute. At best, she was a very loose woman, and she was so ashamed, and somehow she knew that Jesus could forgive her and she fell down at the feet of Jesus. And when they ate in their day, they reclined on their left side. So their feet were out behind them. There were low tables and you would recline at the edge of the table and you would eat just what was there reclining. And this woman came behind him, fell down at his feet and began to weep on his feet and then to wipe the tears with her hair. And Simon, the Pharisee said, if this guy was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman she was and he wouldn't let her touch him. And then Jesus said, Simon, who loves more? The one who's forgiven a little or forgiven more? And he forgave her sins. He said, daughter, your sins are forgiven you. What a beautiful thing for Jesus to do. Well, in this particular meal, it's just like that. Only a man with dropsy comes in and that's a form of paralysis. So a man with dropsy comes in and Jesus heals that man, even though it's the Sabbath day. And then he sits down with them and he watches the way they fight for the best seat. This was our study last week. And Jesus said, when they all sat down, Jesus is probably in the last seat. And Jesus says, when you put on a wedding feast, 
Don't take the most honorable seat at the wedding feast, but take the last because then you'll be exalted. And we talked about humility and the importance of humility last week. The third thing that happens is here. This is it now at this meal. So here's what happens. And this is verse 12. It says, Then uh, he also said to him who invited him, When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, or your relatives, nor your neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because, you can't, because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, as I said, this is a little bit difficult because what is Jesus telling us to do? To go out and find the lame and the blind and the poor and the needy and invite them over to our house? First of all, if I go out on the streets and just try to find 10 people to invite, I might get a couple that would go, but most of them would be like, no, what's, what's your gig? What's your stick? I don't trust you. Why do you want me to come over to your house? So really looking at the heart of what Jesus is saying, it's that when we have opportunities to, to rub shoulders with those who are important or to reach out to those that are disenfranchised, that nobody wants to be around. If you're in high school here, I have a really easy application for you because you know in high school it doesn't depend on a lot of things with people. There's the in crowd and there's the out crowd. So when you go, get together, you can almost commit you know, social suicide by going and hanging out with the out crowd. You can end up being ostracized by doing that. But this is the very thing Jesus is telling you to do. Go and find the person that's sitting by themselves that no one wants to talk to. Sit down and take an interest with them. The same thing can happen in church services. You could come in today and you could say, or you could come in next week and say, I'm going to look around church today. I'm going to find someone who's sitting alone, someone who looks like people don't want to talk to them. And I'm going to sit down and say, hey, my name is Robert. Uh, just what's your name? What do you do? How long have you gone here? How long have you been saved? Just take an interest in their lives. And if you find someone, when, when someone's in a wheelchair or someone's blind, when someone's disabled in some way, a lot of times people feel uncomfortable around them so they won't approach them. And I just want to give you an encouragement to approach them. You see someone who's sitting there blind, they'll, they'll hear you coming. Just walk up and say, hi, my name's Robert. You can, don't have to say Robert. You can say what your name is. But <laughs> my, name is, my name is Robert. Can I sit down with you? And then just again, take an interest in their, in their life. Just start asking them questions. It, it, it begin to be interested in them. Uh, the same is true with someone who's in a wheelchair. Just go sit down, kneel down, get eye level with them. You know, shake their hand. Uh, kind of sit down in front of them. They, if they have some kind of a cognitive issue going on, then be patient with them. Look for opportunities to really develop a friendship with them. If you do that, if you do that at your job, if you do it here at church, if you do it, whatever social gatherings or hobbies you're doing, if you look for the people that are not normally sought out for social things, then pretty soon you're going to be able to invite all of these people that are in the list Jesus gave over to your house. It's, it's not just simply trying to check it off the list. All right, Jesus said to do this, so I'm going to go do it. It's looking for opportunities 
to be able to. There, there's another passage. And I looked it up this morning when I was driving down the freeway on the way to the West Campus for the first service. And, about, and I realized how dangerous it was while I was doing it. I'm trying to type in. I'm talking into it. But I'm trying to do, you know, um, the, so the Bible says to be associated with the humble. So I'm trying to be associated with the humble. And then I'm trying to read and, and thumb down and find what the passage is. And finally, I decided I'll just quote it. I don't need to prove where it's at. You guys can look it up because uh, I'm going to kill myself and somebody else out here. That's not good. Um, what was he doing? He was Googling scriptures <laughs> when he died. Um, but the Bible says be associated with the humble. These are just the people that not, people don't always want to go and be around. They're not people who can pay you back. It's not the people that you can, that you want, you're going to want to rub shoulders with. You can do this at the next day conference you go to or, or one of our next conferences. You can just sit down and look around and just look for people that you can go and be a blessing to. So this is what Jesus says about ministering to them. And if you're going to have them over again, you got to have a relationship with each one of them. So I want to bounce off of this and talk about the way we are supposed to help those who are needy, those who are poor, needy, um, those that people, are, those that are the humble, that people don't want to associate with. And I've got five things here that the Bible tells us that we should do with the poor and needy. And the first one is this. Genuine Christians already want to help. Genuine Christians want to help those who are poor. When I give a message like this, I can tell that I have ears. Jesus said, if you have ears to hear, then hear what's said. As a preacher, you can tell when you've got people's ears. You can tell when you don't. You could, you could tell with, boy, I'm just not, I'm not connecting here. People start, aren't you supposed to be done, buddy? But when you start talking about helping the poor, we're eager because we feel like we're not doing it enough. And probably rightfully so. We feel like I need to do this more. And so I really want to hear what is said. And I think this happens when we are born again. When you are born again, when, you, when you, your spirit is brought to life, Jesus said he was born of the flesh is flesh and he was born of the spirit is spirit. And you must be born again. Your spirit has to be quickened and brought to life. When that happens, suddenly you change. That happened to me when I was 13, almost 14. Before I was born again, I, I never read my Bible. I went to Sunday school. But I never sat down to read my Bible. All of a sudden, I wanted to know what the Bible said. I found myself sitting in a little desk in my room as a 13-year-old, highlighting and underlining, trying to understand things and finding myself massively confused about what the Scriptures were saying. You probably had the same experience at some point. I, 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 I found myself wanting to pray, wanting to know Jesus, wanting to know God, wanting to be filled with the Spirit, wanting to be used by Him. All of these things were new things for me. I was transformed. Then when I fell away at 18 and returned at 19, the same thing happened again. There was another transformation in my life and all those things were something I wanted to do. Caring for the poor and needy is just something God gives to those who, whose spirit is brought to life. Christians want to do it. So Jesus gives his last parable ever. His last parable to, 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 before his crucifixion. And it's very dramatic. He says, when the Son of Man returns with all of his angels, He's going to judge at the resurrection. He's going to judge uh, all people and he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. This is Matthew 25, 31 through 46. And I'm just going to give you one of these because he repeats a lot of things. So we'll use the sheep. So he divides them both and he says to the sheep, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. 
I was in prison and you came to me. And the sheep say, when were you naked and hungry and thirsty and sick and in prison? And Jesus says, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Now, Keith Green, who is one of my favorite contemporary Christian artists, although it's not contemporary anymore, he died in 1978 in a plane crash, and his songs have always ministered to me greatly. And um, he has a song called The Sheep and the Goats. And at the very end of the song, he says this, the only difference between the sheep and the goats is what they did and did not do. But we know we're not saved by works. So Jesus divides them and he encourages them for giving to the poor because that's what Christians do. When we give our lives to Jesus, we are transformed and changed and we care for those that are in need. It's just some, it's one of the signs. It's one of the fruits. It's one of the proofs that we are Christians because we take care of the poor and the needy. And that's why I say I have, I have eager ears to hear what the Bible has to say and some practicality about how we can do this. So the first thing is, is that genuine Christians really want to help and the Bible teaches us that. The second thing is, um, all right, I'm going to skip over that. I'm, I'm skipping over a couple of things. Uh, the second thing is that motives matter. When you're giving to the poor and the needy, motives matter. Again, when I was a teenager, I was probably 16 or 17 years old, and I was watching a television evangelist. This was in the late 70s. It was the, the time of the television evangelist. And this is going to shock you, but this television evangelist was raising money. And he said, while he was doing this, as long as you give, it's good because the motives don't matter. And even at 16 years old, I remember talking to the TV and saying, motives are all that matter. That's what God cares about. God doesn't care about the amount that you give. God cares about your heart when you give. Motives matter. And when you genuinely see someone in need and you want to help them, that's a godly thing to do. I love it when it happens here in an organic way. Several years ago, this is a long time ago, there was a fire of, of one of the families in our church. And it happened on right before a weekend. And we had our Sunday services. And then we got into the office on Tuesday. And there were all these messages from people at the church. We want to help. The, this, we, a bunch of us got together and we want to help them. We're wondering if we can run it through the church. And so we got on board with them. We were like, okay, let's do that. What a, what a great thing to do. But it happened organically. It happened because people in the church said they lost everything. What can we do? How can we help them? Do they need a place to stay? They just came along and, and did everything. That's what Christians do. And it was a pure motive. It wasn't, you know, we're going to raise some money and give them some things that, 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 so they can have the, the things they need so that we can eventually get things back. It's interesting. We are built to do altruistic things. There, there are studies that show that when you do something to help someone who is in need, your brain produces serotonin and dopamine, the, 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 the satisfaction chemicals, chemicals that make you feel fulfilled and satisfied. Your brain produces those. And I'm not saying that's why we do it. See, that, the motives matter. And I'm not saying, well, I'd I want to feel, feel good, so I'm going I'm to give to people. I'm going to learn to, and altruistic means you don't have any dog in the hunt. You're not going to get anything back. You're just, you're just helping somebody. You're not getting anything back. But God's made it, and I believe that God has made us that way so that we would do that. That's built into us 
that we would not just look at somebody who needs help and just go, oh, I, I can't do anything. So motives matter. And I want to give you this verse. This is Matthew 6, 3 and 4. But when you do your charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Now, we live in the social media world. This is my second service in a row, picking on social media. I did it on, I think it was Wednesday night, maybe last weekend. Maybe it's two weekends in a row. Uh, but I see people post when they're helping people. They, they give to something and it's usually, hey, I did this, you guys could too. So maybe there's a good, you can do the same post, just don't say you gave to it. See, so, so people are like, wow, they gave to it. And you're doing exactly what Jesus said, don't do. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing because motives matter. And we're not supposed to give to be seen by people, but we're to genuinely give because we are moved to genuinely give to them. The third thing the Bible tells us about giving our responsibility to the poor and the needy is that we are told in the Bible to do it. Now, I told you that we naturally want to do it, but God wants to tell us to do it as well. And I have a few verses here, and I'm not going to read them all, but I want to read a couple of them. The first one is in James 2, 15 and 16. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart, be in peace, be warm and be filled, but you do not give them the things that are needed for the body, what is the profit? And again, I, a Keith Green song comes to mind. Maybe I'll quote several of them today. He says in one of his songs, and Jesus came to your door and you sent him away as you smiled and said, God bless you, be at peace. And all heaven just weeps. Because Jesus said, when you do it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. And so we are told to do it. And that it means nothing if we just kind of let them go on. In 1 John 3, 17, it says, but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Do you have an abundance? If you have an abundance, then when you see someone that is in need, then give to them. You might not feel like you can give very much, but the key is that we're all supposed to give what we can. I don't believe that you should put it on a credit card. When I hear people talk about this stuff, they'll say things like, you know, put it on a credit card. Just give what you can. That's all God expects you to do. God's not expecting you to give what you can't. He's expecting you to give what you can, and you get to determine in your mind what you want to give them, and we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a moment. Couple more, couple more verses. James 1.27. This is just in the, the fact that the Bible tells us. And by the way, the Bible tells us to, to help the poor and needy and others that are, that are in need. Well, I guess poor and needy. Uh, I'm going to say hundreds of times. When I started looking it up, I, again, I was just overwhelmed, at the, especially the Old Testament and the law. They were told over and over again. They're, they're, they, there's one passage that says, when a relative is in need, don't hide from them. And I thought, well, that's applicable. How many of us have relatives that when they call, we're like, oh, no, oh, no, I'm not answering that phone call. So um, this is James 1.27. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted by the world. Let me read one more. This is Deuteronomy 15, 7 and 8. This is under the law. And this is talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. And when you think about God saying, I'm done with you, 
to Sodom and Gomorrah, we usually think about the abominations that they committed. That's what we think of. They were committing abominations. Um, they, they were raping people that came. When, people, when you would go into a town in their day, you would go to the city gates to sleep. That was a safe place to go, get inside the gates, and you could spend the night in the gates if you were sojourning through. And they were raping people that were going to their city gates. And this is just one of the things that we know that they were doing. They were doing these abominations. And um, so God says this to them, though. And we get an idea of why they, they came to the place of doing all these abominations. It says, um, if there is among you, actually, that's not the one that I wanted. I just said, hold on. Let me get down to this one. I'll, yeah, let me just read this one since I set it up. Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom and her daughter had pride. The daughter is Gomorrah. So Sodom and Gomorrah, they had pride. That was the first thing they had. They were prideful. They were full of food fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. They lived in, in, in grassy plains. They had abundance of food, and they had, didn't have to work all that much. So they had all this idle time. They had no excuse for not helping people because they had to think the goods of this world, and they had time to help people. And then it says, neither did she strengthen the hands of the poor and needy. She had time, she had money, but she didn't strengthen the hands of the poor and the needy. And they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. So Sodom and Gomorrah stand as cities that were not responsible for those who were in it. I believe that we have a responsibility for those who are in our city. I, I believe that. I believe that we have responsibility for those who are impoverished in Tucson. We want to reach beyond that. I want to help people that are in Haiti today. I want to help people that are in Afghanistan. I want to help people that are in Syria. I, but the responsibility that we have is to reach out to those who are in this city. They didn't in their city. Instead, they took advantage of them. Now, let me read you Deuteronomy 15, 7 and 8. If there is among you a poor man or of your brethren within the gates in your land, which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from the poor brother. But he, you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his needs, whatever he needs. It also says, uh, there's another passage that talks about helping sojourners, people that are just going through your city. There are people traveling through Tucson now. They're homeless. They're trying to get to San Diego or LA or San Francisco, or they're trying to get from there to Austin or Texas or, or to Nashville. They're trying to make their way through, and we want to be able to come alongside and help them because God talks about that. Now, the fourth thing the Bible tells us, so it gives us direction that we should help the poor and needy and gives us some details so that we can't make excuses like for the guy in the corner with the sign that says, I will work for food. And if I remember, I hope I'll remember to get back to that. I want to get back to it. I want to talk about that. So the fourth thing the Bible says about giving to the poor and needy is that God encourages generosity. God encourages us to be generous, to live generously. That if you give, it's okay because I'm going to give back to you, God says. Now, going back to our televangelist friends, they love to use these verses to appeal to people's greed. If you give me more money, God has given me a tenfold blessing. I heard a guy say this once. God's given me a tenfold blessing. So if you give back 100%, when you give to another person, when you give to me, you give back 1,000%. Or, or 100%. I, I can't do math. 100%. And it's It's silly. Because it never promises God's going to give you back money. Never. It's going to give back you what you need. You might not need money. If you've got all the money in the world and you give, you don't need money back. 
You, you need other things. There's things you need. And God's promised to meet those needs. So just two verses. One is Luke 6, 38. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So God's saying, don't worry about giving. You might feel like, I don't know, can I make ends meet? And what about inflation and all these things that are happening? God says, I got you. Give and I'll give back to you. This is a biblical principle. So many verses we could go to. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7. And this is such a great verse because Paul is collecting money from the Gentiles to bring to the church in Jerusalem because they've been impoverished. The temple is still there. When you became a Christian, you would get excommunicated from the temple. You would oftentimes lose your job. People didn't want to do business with you. And so the church in Jerusalem became impoverished. And so Paul collects money from all these different Gentile churches. And he, he knows he's got problems with the, the Corinthians. And so he writes to them early to say, get your, get your offering ready. You told me you were going to give this. Get it ready because I don't want to have to raise it when I get there. He's saying, I just want you to have it ready. And here's what he says to them. This is 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So let each one purpose in his own heart, not grudgingly nor of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Take joy in helping people in need and do it as you purpose in your heart. You say, well, how much should I give? You decide. You decide. You have, you, that's, God's given you the, the, the right to say, I want to give this much to those who are hurting. I, I always like to say, make a prayerful decision about what you give, but you get to purpose it in your heart. That's what the Bible says. You purpose in your heart. So don't let anybody twist your arm to make you give something you don't want to give because that would be grudgingly. We're supposed to give out of a cheerful heart where we say, this is what I want to give and this is what, what I, I feel like I can give. God's just encouraging generosity, saying, it's okay. I will give back to you. The fifth thing the Bible tells us about giving to the poor and needy is that God moves in our lives based on how we give. Now, this should not surprise us because we find this throughout the Bible. The mercy you give is the mercy you get. The way you judge is the way you're going to be judged. When you forgive other people, then you're forgiven and so on. We see this in, in, in many places, but the way we live is the way God gives back to us. Somebody told me one time when I was saying that, they said, oh, karma. No, no, it's not karma. Karma is when you do something in this life good so when you're reincarnated, you don't come back as a cockroach. That's karma. <laughs> this is a biblical principle. It's the biblical principle of sowing and reaping. The things that you sow are the things you're going to reap. That's, karma has to do with future lives. This has to do with living here and now. The way you give is the way you get. So just a couple of verses, maybe three or four. Uh, Proverbs 21, 13. Whoever shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard. God says, if you just shut up your ear and go, I'm not going to help the poor, then God will shut up his ears to you when you're crying. Proverbs 14, 31. He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker. But he who honors him has mercy on the needy. When you honor God, you have mercy on the needy. Poor are the first in our culture, uh, world, the world, culture around the world, not just our culture, but they're the first ones to be, to be mistreated. People take advantage of the poor in order to get rich, and God sees that. 
In uh, Proverbs 19, 17, it says, he who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord and, the, and he will pay him back. When you give to the poor, God says, I got it. I'll take care of that. Jesus said, if you give a glass of water in my name, you say, well, I don't have much to give. If you give a glass of water in my name, you will by no means lose your reward. So it's not how much you've got to be able to give. It's just your willingness to be able to do that. Now, let, let's talk about some practical things about giving. Uh, first of all, the person that comes to mind is the person holding up the sign, I will work for food. And we have all kinds of things that we'll say to let our conscience off the hook. Well, they're going to spend it on alcohol. Well, a while back, remember in somewhere, I think it was San Francisco, there was a gal begging for food like that on, on a corner and somebody was taping her from a distance with their phone and then they, they came back or recording them, I guess, not taping them, but recording them with their phone. I got to get into the new world at some point. Uh, and they, uh, they follow them all the way back to their car and they get in like a $60,000 car. And so they confront them. You got a $60,000 car, you're out there begging for money. You got a $60,000 car. And so when we drive by somebody now that's holding out a sign, you're like, you're like, you probably have a more expensive car than me. You probably got a nicer house than me. Or you're going to go spend it on alcohol. Or you're going to buy cigarettes with it. See, and so we justify not helping them. But we don't know their circumstances. And never does the Bible say it's your responsibility to make sure nobody uses what you give them for alcohol or cigarettes or drugs or whatever. Never does it say that. It just says that we shouldn't shut up our hearts to those who are in need. And those people may be trying to go through. This is what I'm going to talk about earlier. They may be going through to some other city and they're just kind of, they're moving through this country, homeless, just trying to get from one place to another. And here we are representatives of Jesus Christ and not helping them. Now, I, I used to get ones. I, I would get, go to the bank. I'd get like a hundred ones and put it in my, the center council of my car. Don't break into my car. <laughs> But it feels like a cheapskate now. I feel like I had ones. I'd be like, here's, here's $3, hungry guy. I want to give you. The guy gets and goes, I can't even buy a pack of cigarettes with this. <laughs> I, I, I want to now get fives. It's just my own personal conviction. And you say cheapskate, maybe so. But that's what I want to do. Because I want to be able, I'm, I'm not saying that you give to every person like that. But you'd be led. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And you can be led. And don't just automatically say no because of whatever excuse you've had, because I'll guarantee you some of them are in great need. And so you give some money to someone who goes out and buys liquor. That's not your fault. You don't have any responsibility for that. You're just helping. But also in doing that, you're helping those who are genuinely in need, those who are real and genuine in need. Now, um, I want to talk about ways in which you can give to the poor and needy. And first of all, like I talked about rubbing shoulders, with those that the world doesn't want to rub shoulders with, you look around you. And no matter what I say following this, I think we've got to look around us because God will bring people to us that are in need. And when we find someone that is struggling and going through a difficulty, then find a way to help them. That's first of all. Look around you, who comes across your path, and no matter what else you give to any organization that does this, that you don't stop doing that. And may God bring people our way just as a way to show us this is the right path, that the people are in need that we can reach in our pockets, pull out something and help them, figure out a way to help them, okay? Um, the second thing is, I think, finding ways in which we can help the poor and needy that are in Tucson. And this is through organizations. And you want to do some research on organizations. 
you want that, that are doing because God will be the judge. But a lot of these people are using organizations that they say help the poor and needy to enrich themselves. They always have to have infrastructure. This is really important to understand. They've always got to have some kind of an infrastructure. Otherwise, the money you give them to help somebody in Haiti, they can't get it over to Haiti. So they've got to have infrastructure to be able to do that. So anywhere between 15 to 20, if it's a small organization, maybe 25% should be infrastructure. Everything else should go. And you shouldn't be upset that you're giving, you know, to help payroll or, you know, infrastructure for that ministry because they need it. But a good ministry is going to have this very open on their, I, I went to Samaritan's Purse yesterday looking around their webpage and they just had a place right there where they had pie charts on where the money was going that they were, that they were given so you can know, so you can do some research. But locally here, I find, first of all, one of the best places to help if you're looking for a place to support is Gospel Rescue Mission. And the Gospel Rescue Mission does a great job in ministering to homeless men, but they also do a great job in ministering to homeless women and children. And we shouldn't shut up our hearts just to a homeless man, but our hearts seem to go out more to women and children. And they do a good job of, of ministering to them. And it's the way that we're helping the needy, the sojourner, those that are passing through Tucson. It's a great way for us to help them. And um, they have vision. So when they receive more money, they look for ways to expand their ministry. I'm very familiar with them and I love that about them, that they're just not content doing what they're doing now. They're constantly looking for ways to reach out and reach people in new ways. Uh, the second uh, ministry that I think we should use, and, and this, if you're, if you're watching online, you go, well, I'm not in Tucson. There's gospel rescue missions where you are, all right? They're, they're everywhere. Do a little research. Find a good one that's in the city that you are. The second is a crisis pregnancy center. Uh, for us, it's Hands of Hope. That's the one that we, we stand behind as a church. Um, not only do you hope to rescue babies and Hands of Hope rescues hundreds of babies that would have been aborted anyway, but they intervene. And that's a powerful thing to do to help that the most innocent and needy that is slated to be killed and you rescue, help rescue them. That's awesome. But they also, and I love this fact, they minister to the young families, the young women, sometimes the girls that have become pregnant and they help them. I've always said that we would be hypocrites if we stand against abortion but we don't come alongside of those that are in the crisis pregnancy. They, they do this with young families that just feel like they can't afford the baby. They do this with single, single mothers. They do it with young women that are trying to hide things from their parents. They come alongside of them and try to help them be able to deal with this thing in a right way. And I love that. And I love that. Um, I love the ministry. Salvation Army is another good one. They do great in feeding the hungry. The Salvation Army here in Tucson does a great job. And the city which you're in, if you're, if you're watching. As far as international, that will help us minister when there's an event that happens in Haiti or Afghanistan or Syria. In Syria today, there are refugee camps of over a million people. If you go and look at the condition of Syria, it's, it's, it's a war-torn country. It's completely destroyed. The cities have been bombed to smithereens. And the people have fled the cities and they're living in these camps and clean water and food is hard to get. And there are ministries going to Syria to help these refugees that are there. Uh, and one of them that I, I think is the best is Samaritan's Purse. This is Franklin Graham's organization. And I spent some time on their website yesterday and I pulled down 
uh, they got a pull down menu and you can look at all the places they're doing things at and you can choose to give in those places. And I, and I love that they, they build wells for people that don't have clean water. Jesus said, if you give a glass of water in my name, you won't lose your reward. There are 700 million people in the world that don't have access to clean water. That number used to be 1.1 billion. But because of Christians around the world, we've been digging wells. We, as we as a church have dug several wells in several different places. We, we've taken up money through that and come alongside of other ministries. We, we built them for Garments of Praise, which is a, a ministry that is out of this church. We've gone into Africa, into villages there and built through Garments of Praise wells for them. That's just a, a to, to come. We, someone was walking four miles to get water and now they've got a well in their village. And you can go on to Samaritan's person. You can go and help provide clean water. And it's children and, and older people who die from not having clean water. They're the most vulnerable to it. So you're really coming alongside of helping them with that. It takes time to look around there. There's going to be things that you can see. Again, you're determining in your heart what you, you can give. You don't have to give a bunch. You don't have to give a little. You can determine, I want to do this. Uh, Compassion International. We have Compassion Weekend here. They come alongside of children and they pair them up with someone who gives $38 a month and you provide for that child who's in a third world country, you provide school, healthcare, and food for $38 a month. And you can interact with them with a letter. They'll write you letters. They'll let you know how it's going. You can actually have an interaction with every child that you take. Right now, they sponsor 1.8 million children in third world countries around the world. And you can sponsor, you can sponsor five of them if you want to. If you want to, you get to do it. Don't let Robert Furrow tell you what to do, right? This is you deciding and determining in your heart. The Salvation Army, World Vision, um, excuse me, World Compassion is another one that's a great one. Um, the Salvation Army on a national level does a great job as well. I just wanted to give you some ideas. I wanted this to be very practical. But in giving to, when I started looking at the Samaritan's Purse again, there were plenty of areas I wanted to give to. But that doesn't relieve me from looking around. Relieve me from those that, God, that people God will bring my way and that when I see them impoverished, I can't go, well, I already give. I, I need to be still open to helping those that are in need. And I believe that God will honor us. God will meet us. And as I said, I believe this is something we want to hear and that we want to do. I'm not telling you guys to do anything that you're like, I just don't want to do that. I think we all want to do it who have, who have really made genuine commitments to Christ. Would you stand with me and let's pray together? Father, we want to thank you that your word says so much about coming alongside of those that are in need. And we pray you give us opportunities to do that. Uh, I also pray that we would take serious the words of Jesus about who we rub shoulders with and who we are trying to be around. And I pray that we would develop relationships with those that no one else wants to. I pray we would, that our church would be known for that that we would look around, really love on people who are often unloved. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'd like you to keep your heads bowed, please, and your eyes closed for just a few moments. And I want to give you an opportunity if you're here today and you've never invited Jesus into your life. In the beginning of my study, I talked about when you are born again, your spirit is quickened and brought to life. And now God makes changes in you. All of a sudden, you want to do the things that God wants you to do. You have to surrender and invite Christ into your life for that very reason. You have to say, Lord, I want you in. And you've got to invite him in. Raising your hand doesn't save you. Praying a prayer doesn't save you. I'm going to have you raise your hand. I'm going to pray a prayer with you. But 
there's a lot of ways in which you can tell him, I want you in my life. The thief on the cross said, will you remember me when you enter into your kingdom? The Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved? The Ethiopian eunuch said, there's water. What stops me from being baptized right now? All of those were ways in which they surrendered their life to the Lord and began to live for him. And John 1, 12 says, as many as receive him, he gives the power or the right to become the children of God. And so if you're here today and you would like to invite Jesus into your life or you used to follow him, but you're not anymore. And I walked away at 18, came back at 19 and God did all of those transformative works in my life as well at that point. So if you want to come back, I would like you to raise your hand as well. So you want to commit your life to Christ. You want to invite him in. You want to begin to live for him. You want your sins forgiven. You want to start, you want to give up your life to live for Christ. I'm going to ask you to just raise your hand. Lift your hand up now. Lift it up high so I can see it. God bless you, sir. That's awesome. God bless you back behind the sound booth. That's great. Just raise your hand up high. Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. I'm not going to go on and on. You want to give your life to Christ? Just raise your hand now. You're saying, Lord, I want you in my life. I want to begin. To, I want to find out why I was created. I want to live for you and I want eternity with you. All right. You could put your hands down. And I would like everyone, including those who prayed, who raised your hand, and those of you who watched online, you don't have to raise your hand if you're online. Just say, I want you in my life, God, and pray this prayer with me, all right? So I'd like everybody, including those who raised their hands, to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I've sinned, and I know my sin has separated me from you. But I also understand that I can be forgiven by the death of Jesus on the cross. So I invite you into my life and I turn from my sins that I can live for you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Welcome to the family of God. Amen. I'm very excited for you. Your spirit now has been quickened and God is transforming you and changing you. You're going to find a lot of those changes that Jesus has done. One of them is that the Holy Spirit, you are now, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is an amazing thing. Um, well, we, we, we have a new believers table that's along the wall over here. We've got a new believers team full of great people. They would love to talk with you, give you a Bible, pray with you. You could tell somebody you committed your life to Christ. That's very important. So make your way over there after the service. If you're online, you have two options. You could send us an email, saved to calvarytucson.com or saved at calvarytucson.com. Tell us your story. We'll have people who will respond to you, talk to you about what you need to do, answer your questions, help you out, allow us to help you. If you want to send a text, then you can send ready for Jesus to 94,000. You're going to get back a link. That's our new believers card. Fill that out and we will get in touch with you promptly. We just want to help you any way we can.